In part 2 of the notes, we begin with the character studies. These studies will revolve around a person, group, and at times a topic, and give some background, explore some of the biblical text and make some application that is helpful for our lives today. Character Studies 1. The Canaanites Although both Canaanites and Amorites were established in Canaan before 2000 BC, the Canaanites established their civilization as dominant during the Middle Bronze Age, about 2100-1550 BC. Their society had several classes, ranging from the ruling nobility to the peasants. The northern Canaanites used a particular cuneiform script, featuring a wedge-shaped alphabet. Their land was also dotted with walled cities. Several of these served as the centers of city-states, each having its own king, or mayor, and army. The Canaanites, therefore, were a highly civilized people in many ways when Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan River to conquer the people and settle the land. Canaanite history ended with the Israelite conquest. But certain segments of Canaanite culture remain to make both positive and negative impacts on the life of God's covenant people. 1. It is thought the Canaanites came from the West. Now about their religion. The Canaanite religion featured many gods. Worshipped with elaborate ritual. Various kinds of cultic personnel, or priests, officiated at these pagan ceremonies. Their religious system also featured many different places of worship, varying from simple outdoor altars to massive stone temples. The Old Testament refers frequently to Baal, Numbers 22:41, Baals, Hosea 2:13, 17, or a Baal of a particular place, such as Baal of Peor, Numbers 25:3, 5. The Old Testament also refers to Asherah, 1 Kin, 18:19, Ashtoreth, 1 Kin, 11 to 5, 33, and the Ashtoreths, Judges 2:13. References to these Canaanite gods and goddesses always carry strong denunciations by the biblical writers. The religion of these pagan people was basically a fertility cult. At temples scattered throughout their land, Canaanite worshippers actually participated in lewd, immoral acts with sacred prostitutes. Theirs was a depraved form of worship that appealed to the base instincts of sinful human nature. They also practiced human sacrifice, and their religion sanctioned unbelievable cruelty and warfare. 2. Because of their perverse religious practices, sexually transmitted diseases were rampant throughout the land. Remember, God told Abram that the iniquity of the Amorites, all the Canaanite groups, was not yet complete, Genesis 15:16, which God stated over 500 years prior to the Israelites coming into the land. Application, God was exceedingly patient with the pagan people that lived in Canaan. But, when their time was up, God used the nation of Israel to judge them, just as God used the Philistines, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and others to judge Israel. Israel was in slavery to prepare them to walk humbly before their God, and to give the Canaanites time to repent. Application, God is so patient. Just because it seems someone gets away with sin, or we think we get away with sin, doesn't mean God won't judge. He will. His timing is not our timing, and His ways are not our ways. His patience is never a wink at sin, nor is it an excuse to continue to sin. Unless there is repentance, like there was for Rahab at Jericho, then His wrath will fall, and how it falls will vary. It is loving to warn someone of the wrath to come. Application, sometimes Scripture contains events that don't make sense to us. Sometimes there are events in Scripture that, from our point of view, can have more than one potential interpretation. I remind you that there is only one correct interpretation of Scripture, but many applications. Our struggle is to get back to what the original writer meant when he wrote it, to the people to whom he wrote, within the context in which he wrote. That is hard. 
one factor that will help is to remember to interpret what is clear first, and then go back and interpret what is difficult. Just because it doesn't make sense to us, doesn't mean it didn't make sense to the original audience. It did. One of those difficult parts of the Bible is God's command to kill the Canaanites. God gave the Canaanite centuries to turn to Him, but they did not. The people had heard of what God did to the Egyptians, and yet, only Rahab, with her family, trusted in the Lord. While some of this has been addressed, this short video will be helpful for you to understand the situation and be able to answer this question. As stated, God waged war on the Canaanites, not the Israelites. This was His war in their first battle at Jericho proved this. All the Israelites did was walk around the city, blow trumpets and shout. God caused the walls to fall. This may have been a miracle, or God used natural means to accomplish this, such as a localized earthquake. But either way, this was of God. He gave them the victory continuously in the book, according to His promises. 2. Joshua. I noted in Part 1, the huge challenge Joshua faced when taking over the reins of leadership from Moses. God exalted him in the eyes of the people, which Scripture clearly states. Moses and Joshua were very different people and very different leaders. Moses was brought up in the palace of Pharaoh, until he murdered an Egyptian and fled to Midian at age 40. He then became a shepherd until the age of 80, when God called him to go back to Egypt. He led the people out and was their leader and the covenant giver, until his death at 120. Joshua was born into slavery in Egypt and lived as a slave from birth. We are not told how old he was when Moses freed the Hebrews. But Joshua was one of the spies sent into the promised land in Numbers 13 remember his original name was Hoshea. He became a military leader. This was very different than Moses' role within the Israelite camp. But the people needed Moses during his life, and the people needed Joshua during his life. Each were used by God, within their lifetime at different points in the history of Israel, with the gifts and abilities they had, though their leadership looked very different. It seems both were strong personalities, at least to a point, and they both took their roles very seriously. Application, that reminds us that no matter what our background is, or our age, or abilities, God can use us. He wants to do so. Are we willing to let Him lead, or do we want to determine our own way? Do we complain that God has not gifted us in a specific way? If so, we are not only showing ingratitude to God for what He has given to us, but we are also telling Him He made a mistake. Not a wise thing to do. Be thankful and do your best with what you have, which is what both Moses and Joshua did, and be faithful. Now, let's look at Joshua more. His name means, Jehovah is salvation, changed from Hoshea which means salvation. See Numbers 13 8-16. He was of the tribe of Ephraim, the son of Nun, the son of Elishama, who was the head of that tribe, Exodus 33 11 and Numbers 1 10. Though he was sent to spy out the land, he is first mentioned in his victorious battle over the Amalekites in Exodus 17 8-16. It is unclear when or why Moses chose Joshua as his assistant or at his request. Did he see something in young Joshua? Possibly, or probably. Did Joshua hang out near or by Moses and seek his counsel? We are not told, but they developed a close relationship. In fact, it was a discipleship relationship. By the time Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the first set of tablets from the Lord in Exodus 24, we find that Joshua was also on the mountain in 24:13. It was then that Joshua was called Moses' servant for the first time. Joshua also went up the mountain with Moses part of the way and met him again when Moses came down in Exodus 32:17, when the worship of the golden calf occurred. After that, Moses moved the tabernacle outside of the camp and left it in charge of Joshua's care in Exodus 33:11. Therefore, not only do we see that Joshua was looked at as a military leader, 
but also one to care for the central most important item within Israel at that time, the tabernacle. That is a big responsibility. We see a progression of responsibility that he was given. He was successful in a military campaign, and now he was going to take care of the tabernacle. There are some important lessons here. Applications 1. You can never be a leader until you learn to first become a servant. Though Joshua was victorious in battle, it was not until after he became Moses' servant that he was given a real leadership responsibility. If you are a new believer, this is a critical lesson for you to learn. Serve where you are with what you have. Be faithful, as I have stated. 4. If we are faithful in little, God will give us more responsibility. If you are seeking a leadership position or are currently in a leadership position in a church, ministry, or in a business or school, then don't forget that you serve the Lord first, Colossians 3:24. Then, you serve the people around you, which includes your family. This requires humility. Beware of those who want to be leaders or those who are in leadership that have no desire to serve but want to be served. They are false leaders and false shepherds. Joshua was one of only two people who saw the exodus of the older generation that came out of Egypt. Even though Joshua had growing responsibility, it took 40 years before he was placed in a position of leadership over Israel, though it was spoken of long before, Numbers 26 65, 27 18-23, Deuteronomy 338, 31-1-8, and Joshua 1. So, if it is taking time for you to be put into leadership, then don't rush into it. And wait on God's timing. 2. The principle above also goes for raising kids. As they get older, they need to have more responsibility given to them. Will they fail? Yes, but they need to learn to take responsibility for themselves, serve others, and then learn to lead. It will be different for each child, but it is an important lesson for them to learn, particularly as they get ready for high school, college and to enter the workforce. 3. I want to encourage those who have been in the military, are in the military, or want to serve in the military. First, thank you for your service. Second, Joshua is a great example for you. He was faithful, a servant, a leader, and served the Lord and the people his entire life. His life is a great pattern to follow in that sense. Third, perhaps you have been in battle, as Joshua was. It is hard, painful, and can have some severe ramifications on someone's life. My dad was in the army, in the Vietnam War. He doesn't talk about it. God can help you with those struggles, though you may need to ask your pastor, a church leader, elder, or another Christian to help you with the things that are the result of war whether PTSD or something else. 4. Joshua led the nation to conquer the promised land. He didn't do this for his own self-service, to boost his own ego or prove something. No. He did this at the leading of God himself. Though God gave them the land, they were to take it, fight for it and take responsibility for it once it was theirs. Application, the nation had, and we have personal responsibility before God. Did God promise to give the land of Canaan to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and the Israelites? Yes. Did God say that he would be the one who fought for Israel? Yes, see Joshua 10:42 as one example. Did God tell the Israelites they had to fight? Yes. Did Joshua tell the Israelites they had to fight too? Yes. They were responsible to stand firm and act in faith based on what God said. The same principle applies to us. God never blesses laziness. Fulfill your responsibility, live your life, work, Spend time with family and friends and grow in faith. In Numbers 11:27-29, we learn a little more about Joshua's personality. In Numbers 11, the people complained, and Moses went to God in prayer. God told him to bring 70 elders of Israel to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, 11:16. There, 
God gave some of the Spirit that was upon Moses to them. They began to prophesy, or proclaim. Two others who were not part of that group started to prophesy too in the camp. Joshua told Moses to stop them. Moses asked if he was zealous for his, Moses, sake. I have the feeling that Joshua was trying to make sure that the people saw Moses as the proper leader, who wanted things done in proper order, like a good military leader. Application, sometimes God does things with people or at a time we don't expect. We may want Him to do something a certain way, through a certain person, or at a certain time, but He's God and not bound by our standards. This situation led to Moses' desire for all of God's people to have His Spirit upon them, which became a prophecy, fulfilled at Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus in Acts 2. A few more things. First, Joshua had to deal with defeat and failure at I. If you are a leader in any capacity, you will fail or be defeated. The question is not if, but when, and to what extent. But that is not what I want to focus on. My focus here is our response to our failure or defeat. Whether it is at home, where we all fail a lot, or on the job, in a sport, in relationships, or wherever it is, what do we do? Joshua could have given up. He didn't. Whether we are convicted by the Lord, or confronted by a friend, do we take responsibility for our lives, our attitudes, and our actions? Joshua did. We will see that King David did as well. Joshua went to the Lord first. Yes, there was some whining, seemingly to us, and maybe complaining, but you know what? He was honest with God. Our first response should be to pray, inquire of God, and ask what was going on. We can ask the same thing, though we may or may not get a response at that time. We too need to be honest with God, about our discouragement, frustration, anger, sadness, hurt, and every other emotion we are going through at the time. God already knows. Second, Joshua did something about it. He didn't let it slide. He didn't make excuses for Akan's behavior or actions. He obeyed what God told him to do. Yes, to us it may seem extreme, more on that in a moment, but Joshua, like any good and godly leader, followed through with what needed to be done. Perhaps you are in a situation now as a leader where you must make some very difficult decisions, firing someone, hiring someone, bringing church discipline upon someone, forgiving someone, confronting a friend about him slash her cheating in school, talking to someone who is an addict and needs help, giving a promotion, etc. Whatever the situation is, you need to follow through. This was not only because Joshua should have done it, but third, the people needed to see that this was done. They needed to see an example of what a leader will do when he is defeated or fails. They needed to see that he followed the Word of God and followed through with what the Lord told him to do. They needed that example. That is the burden leaders in the church have, and Christian leaders in the marketplace have as well, though in a different capacity. This showed that Joshua had integrity. Other than the hint about not inquiring about the Lord regarding I and the Gibeonites, there is nothing negative stated about Joshua, because he looked to God for all things. His life, though recorded with fullness of detail, shows no stain. By the faithful serving of his youth he was taught to command as a man, as a citizen he was patriotic in the highest degree, as a warrior, fearless and blameless, as a judge, calm and impartial. He was quite equal to every emergency under which he was to act. No care, no advantage, no duty was neglected by him. He ever looked up for and obeyed divine direction with the simplicity of a child and wielded the great power given him with calmness, unostentation, and without swerving, to the accomplishment of a high, unselfish purpose. He earned by many vigor a quiet, honored old age and retained his faith and loyalty, exclaiming, in almost his dying breath, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 3. We now turn to the next character study. 3. Rahab. 
She is introduced in Joshua 2. There is quite a lot spoken of her in these early chapters regarding her life, her faith, and the protection God gave to her and her family. There is also some controversy surrounding her and her character. The biblical text, at least for some translations, state that she was a harlot or prostitute. Others say that this was a mistranslation of the Hebrew, and the word means hostess or someone like an innkeeper. Perhaps she was a former prostitute by the time the Israelites came to the city. Or, perhaps she was an innkeeper, and her home was open to as a hotel for travelers or something like that. A case can be made for either one of these positions. We may never fully know, and the debate continues. In either case, we do know she hid the two spies that came into the town. Some way, somehow, the two spies were found out and were known to have visited Rahab's home. The officials sent by the king to Rahab were not accusing her of hiding spies but telling her that the two men who came were there to spy out the land, two to two to three. The officials' visit apparently happened at night, based on her story in verses four to five. She told those sent by the king that the men left prior to that, and they may be able to catch them if they pursue them, which they did. But she had hidden the spies on the roof. A question arises. What about her lie? She lied to these officials from the king. The Bible says God hates lies because He is a God of truth. So, what do we do with this text? We have to first put it in context. She heard what God did to the Egyptians and how He rescued the Israelites from Egypt. She knew God was powerful. She knew that the God of Israel was unique and the living God. But she had limited knowledge of who He was, and at this time, while God's character doesn't change, He would not punish her for lying, even though He is a God of truth. She lived up to the light that she had. Though we may disagree with her lying, or think she did the right thing, she protected the spies, which is the emphasis of the text. Apparently, she was not one who lied on a constant basis, because this is the only place Scripture refers to this. Application, likewise, we can look at our own lives and see or remember when we lied, whether to save our own skin, to protect someone else, or to tell our spouse, yes, you look great in that outfit. Though there is debate about the ethic of lying to save others, such as lying to Nazi officers to save Jews during World War II, the Bible never condones her lie, nor condemns her for lying in this situation. Scripture is silent. However, the Bible does exalt her faith, Hebrews 11:31, James 2:25. She, along with the rest of the city, had heard about what God did at the Red Sea and what the Israelites did to pagan kings. Her confession of faith is in Joshua 2:11b, For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth below. Perhaps one reason Scripture doesn't condemn her for this lie is because she trusted in the God of Israel? We know that only He can forgive sins because He has forgiven us in Christ. We know she cared for others. She not only cared for the spies and protected them but asked the spies that when the nation comes to fight and take the land, that they spare her family, 2:12. She wasn't just thinking of protecting herself, but those within her family, those whom she loved. The spies agreed of course, but before the left, they gave her specific instructions to fulfill the scarlet cord, keeping everyone inside when the siege happens, not telling the spy's mission, etc. She kept her word. Don't forget that there were a series of events that took place from the spies checking out Jericho, to the eventual arrival of Israel at Jericho and the march around for seven days. Rahab's house and family were safe and the wall that supported her home, survived the attack on the city in Joshua 6. Before Joshua set fire to the city, he sent the two spies to go and get her and her family, 622-25. God was faithful to her, and she was faithful to her word. In fact, verse 25 says, that she, or her family were still living among the Israelites, to this day. We also know that she married into the nation of Israel, like Ruth. She married Salmon, 
the son of Nishon, and became the mother of Boaz, whom Ruth married. Jesse's grandfather, as recorded in Matthew 1-5. So, she was not only in the lineage of David the king, but in the lineage of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Her family was alive during the transition from Joshua to the judges. There is speculation that Salmon may have been the name of one of the spies who went to Jericho. We do not know for sure, but honestly, it would be nice if Salmon was one of the spies. It wouldn't surprise me, knowing how God works these things out. Next in our character study is. 4. Akan. Really? Yes. His greed and actions are warnings to us. In Joshua 7, the Israelites are defeated at Ai, because of sin they were not aware of. Joshua sought the Lord, and God told him the people sinned, though Joshua had to find out who it was, step by step. After a long process, 7 16-18, Achan was chosen. You may ask, how did they know? We are not specifically told, but it was probably by casting lots. This, I remind you, was not gambling nor chance, but they considered the Lord to be involved in the decisions and direction the lot was cast. If this was the way it was done, then it fell to Akon. Joshua confronts him, publicly, needed for public sins. Akon then confessed and told how he saw the money and the robe from Shinar, took them and hid them under his tent, Joshua 7 20-21. Joshua made sure to check the story, and it was true. Akon, his family, his livestock, and all his belongings were brought out to the valley. This means, they probably brought them all out of the camp. Akan and his family were stoned to death, and then they, and all they had was burned. Applications, as with the Canaanites, this is hard for us to understand. But we must look at the context, the culture and recognize the seriousness of what Akan did. 1. He stole things that were supposed to be devoted to destruction in Jericho, broke the covenant and lied, kept his secret, Joshua 7:11. God told the nation not to take anything from Jericho, Joshua 6:17-18. The money was going to go into the treasury of the Lord, Joshua 6:19. So, Akan not only stole the robe that should have been burned, but he also stole money that was to go to the Lord. Why is this important? The burning by fire of the city of Jericho is a reference to a sacrifice offered up to God. Remember, this was a holy war waged by God, not by the people. This was not Akan's war, and though God will give the Israelites the freedom to take the spoil later, this was not the case for this city. Everything, except for Rahab and her family and the gold and silver, was to be offered up to the Lord by fire. Akan knew this and he willingly disobeyed. Therefore, his punishment was the same as the city. 2. Within the law of Moses, there is no offering that can be made for purposeful sin. Akan knew what he was doing. He admitted it, after he was caught. He saw and he stole. The same thing happened in the Garden of Eden. And happens to us too. Be aware and beware at what you look. Again, when someone purposefully and willingly committed an act of sin and rebellion against God, there was not sacrifice for it to be forgiven. That is why Akan's confession was meaningless. He didn't admit it until he was caught. He had plenty of time to come forward as the process of searching for the guilty party took place and confess but he did not. 3. Our sin affects others. This should be obvious, but we forget this way too often. Akan's sin led his family down the wrong path. They knew about it. It was hidden under their tent. He didn't bury it all by himself, more than likely. Don't forget that God said that Israel, plural, had sinned, Joshua 7 1, 11. His sin brought his entire family down, and they were co-conspirators with him. I need to warn and challenge us all, and particularly the men, to understand that as the leader in the home, we are responsible for our families, and the direction they go. 
Yes, it is a great burden and blessing. Believe me, I am learning it more and more every day. Our sin impacts our families. Don't be deceived into thinking it won't. It will. If there is a sin you are toying with, pornography, gambling, addiction to any substance, legal or illegal, lust, spending on things you don't need with money you don't have, or internal sins that only you and God know about, such as bitterness, trying to make yourself look good, lying to get ahead in a company or ministry, etc. Stop. Confess it to God and the proper people and deal with it before it destroys you and your family. 4. Now a word on their punishment. The people and animals were stoned to death. This was the way that the Israelites conducted capital punishment. They were following through with what God told them to do. Sin had to be brought to justice, and then purged from the camp. Not only were they stoned, but then they and everything was burned. Why? As stated, just like Jericho, they had to be offered by fire, to satisfy God's justice. Akan's sin caused the entire nation to be destined for destruction as God said in 7:12. Don't forget, because of Akan's sin, about 36 men were killed, 7 to 5. Someone had to answer for their blood. As far as I know, these were the only men killed in battle, and it was because of Akan's sin. At least some of these men had families too, with grieving widows, and children. They needed justice as well. And so, his sin would not be repeated by him or his family, and as an example to others, they were dealt with severely. The Israelites did everything right in God's eyes, as proven by their success in I after this. What Joshua and the nation did in bringing death to the guilty is what was needed in that circumstance, and it is very clear in Scripture. So many more could be and should be studied, such as Caleb, Numbers 1330, 14-6-24, 32-12, Joshua 14, Judges 1, or the five daughters of Zelophehad and Joshua 17 3-6, and more. You can do that on your own time. After the conquest, the land was given by allotment to the tribes. This was in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, but also according to Moses' prior instruction. Dash. 1, R, F. Youngblood, F, F. Bruce, and R. K. Harrison, Eds. Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary, Nashville, Tennessee, Thomas Nelson Incorporated 1995, Logos. 2, Ibid. 3, Merrill F. Unger, The New Unger's Bible Dictionary, Chicago, Illinois, Moody Press, 1988, 715.